What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Pro GK Podcast, the quarantine series. Today, we have another great guest for you guys, Ryan Coulter. Uh, Ryan is the head goalkeeper coach for the USL side, RGV Toros. And if you guys don't know, RGV is actually connected with the Houston Dynamo. So that means Ryan is working on a daily basis with two former guests of the show, Jason Grubb and Paul Rogers. Uh, in this episode, Ryan will take us through some of his coaching experiences and where the game has taken him from there. But it's the experiences that he gained as a player that I really wanted to highlight for you guys. So it's a great episode for goalkeeper coaches, but also a great episode for young goalkeepers that listen to the show. Ryan grew up in Ireland and was playing at the highest levels until he made the move to the United States and decided to play his college ball at East Tennessee State. After his time at East Tennessee State, Ryan would face some incredible challenges as he battled through trials, relegation, and then had to overcome some psychological adversities as well. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear this episode and to hear all about Ryan's story. And as usual, guys, if you guys can rate, review, and subscribe for me, that'd be awesome. It really gets the channel out there to more people. Again, guys, my name is Omar Zini. Hopefully you guys are all staying safe, doing well, and back on the field soon. Have a good one. Ryan, what's up? What's happening? How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I'm glad I got that sorted anyway. That's that's the first box ticked. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have you on. I know we, uh, I mean, I've done my research, so I have a lot of a lot of information about you, and I kind of want to get into uh, things right away. So, you ready to go? Yeah, awesome, yeah. All right. So, you are currently the head goalkeeping coach uh, for the USL side, RGV Toros. Uh, so, an RGV is actually connected with the Houston Dynamo, and you're working uh, with two former guests of the show, Jason Grubb and Paul Rogers. How was that interview process like, to be honest? I just want to know from two, you know, incredibly top-level coaches, were you nervous going into this interview? How, how did that process go? Well, it was interesting, really. So my, uh, well, first of all, Omar, thanks a lot for having me on the, uh, having me on, on the show. I've, I've really enjoyed listening to you over the last couple of months. And uh, I guess I have to say that with Paul and Jason being part of the show as well. <laughs> um, no, it's, um, it's a funny one. I, I first... Um, I first got in contact with Paul and Jason. Um, it would have been a couple of years ago for their pro goalkeeper um, camp. So I was part of that a couple of years ago, um, right after I got my green card. And it was kind of a way to, to, to get back training and all that kind of thing. And spent about four days there training and then went back to Tennessee. And my mind was just blown in terms of the, the detail that they put into every session and, and, the technical things that they spotted which with each and every goalkeeper and for I mean there must have been 20 goalkeepers there at least and to to be able to facilitate 20 20 goalkeepers and and to be able to run worthwhile sessions for each and every goalkeeper was 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 phenomenal so that was where I had my first interaction with them and um, I kept in contact with them really from uh, from there and um, last season I was with Madison uh, forward Madison in the USL and Kind of all the signs looked as if as as if I was going to head back head back that way, and um, I got a phone call from from Paul just saying would I be would I be interested in uh, in, in joining the organisation? And I mean it's a bit of a no brainer for for someone who's serious about you know progressing as a goalkeeper coach and and you know trying to work my way up the ladder. It was it was a no brainer really to uh, to to come and be part of it. You know it's not just dealing with one or learning from one. I mean to be able to learn from Paul and Jason and. and and even, even in fact, Brenton as well is is, uh, yeah. is phenomenal opportunity for me. For sure. I mean, some quality coaches there. And uh, can you kind of explain to us a little bit about what your role is? I know you have Jason, who's in the academy system, and I'm sure he's putting goalkeepers through. Uh, but at the same time, I'm sure Paul is dropping goalkeepers down. And it's probably one of those just constantly uh, evolving cycles for you. You're getting new goalkeepers every day, moving goalkeepers up and down. So uh, what is your role in that whole cycle with the, uh, the structure of uh, the Houston Dynamo? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, there's um there's a lot of good goalkeepers through the club. That's 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 first and foremost. They're they're uh, they're lucky that through the academy there's a lot of very good talented goalkeepers and obviously Paul's Paul's put his stamp on the on the first team with the goalkeepers that they've brought in there and uh, a really really solid group and even with young young Logan coming through and and uh, you know being heavily involved with first team first team sessions and stuff is a great experience for him. So where where RGV kind of falls into into the mix is I guess for for whatever one of the goalkeepers with the Dynamo that's not that's not played or perhaps not travelled, the plan would be you know in in, in years past. I, I can't speak for much of it so far this year. We've we got one game into the season, <laughs> so I can't exactly say talking from experience. But now what's happened in the past is is that you know the goalkeeper who hasn't travelled with with say the Dynamo to an away game would then would then make his way down to RGV and play. So me knowing what the role is here is is definitely going to be a case of with the goalkeepers that we have signed at RGV keeping them happy and hungry and, and wanting to, to thrive in our environment and play as much as possible while facilitating the, you know, the, the wants and needs for the first-team goalkeeper to get down and play games and, and feel comfortable while doing so. So it's definitely gotcha. a balancing act, but you know, the priority is going to be that you know, whatever goalkeeper plays, that they, that they represent you know, the club and the organization you know, to the best of their ability. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're relatively a young coach in the game. And I know or I've talked to other coaches in the past about sometimes when you get kids and goalkeepers who are similar to your age, uh, it can be difficult sometimes to differentiate that, fr- that fine line of friendship, but at the same time, professionalism. So um, how have you kind of dealt with that in the early stages with uh, RGV? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, even, even last year in, uh, in, in Madison, you know, I was signed there as well in, in a dual role as a, as a goalkeeper and, and the goalkeeper coach. So uh, that was a new thing for me, and you know it was definitely definitely a challenge, and and like I said, a balancing act. Um, it was a bigger workload to be able to uh, fulfil both roles in in a professional manner and and not have one take away from the other. But it was something I really enjoyed, and and again, having having done one year of that, I'll get to build on that then this year. But I think it's, I mean, it's a great question because it, it is something that could quite easily go south because if you if you want to just become friends, friends with the guys and everything else and, and, you know, have banter and all sorts of stuff, it's then hard to, to expect them to act in the way that you'd like them to when, when you now switch into, no, I, I just want to be a serious coach now. So you can't, you know, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it really. Um, yeah. you've, got to, you've got to be able to say, look, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a young coach and stuff, but I've, you know, I've got my, my values and beliefs as, as, as a coach and things that I want to achieve. And regardless of age, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be putting on sessions to the best of my ability fundamentally to improve you as a goalkeeper. So regardless yeah. of what the age or, or, or background or qualification level is, if you have someone that's going to be seriously invested in, in your future as a goalkeeper and someone who's going to do it passionately, I think you know, regardless of who the goalkeepers are, you're going you're gonna to gain a level of respect. That's a great answer. And I think, uh, in my opinion, uh, as a player, it's important to understand your coach's playing career and their experiences and how they went about, you know, navigating the professional game, the college game, how they had those conversations with their goalkeeper coaches, because it's important to, to see what their background is like to understand why their temperament or why their coaching points are, are the way that they are. So that being said, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. We can come back to, you know, forward Madison last year and then now RGV and your coaching career now. But I kind of want to talk a little bit about your playing career and, and kind of how all those experiences have shaped and molded you to, the, to this point. Real quick, before we get into the history, what were you the best at as a goalkeeper? What, are, what were some of your best attributes? There's not many, Omar. No, I'm <laughs> um, no it, it, it's funny. I was only having a conversation with my friends a few minutes ago. Um, he's, he's a goalkeeper in the league at home. And, and, you know, we were talking about different things. And 
I was just quite honest. I looked at it, I said, I've only really enjoyed playing in, in probably the last two or three years and kind of started to enjoy more things through the game, like playing with my feet or, you know, clipping passes out of the back. And that's something that I've enjoyed and, and probably one of the stronger points of my game as, uh, as well as kind of reactive stuff and, and one-on-one blocking. They would have been things that I always would have enjoyed and uh, for me looked at kind of bread and butter things as, 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 um, as I'd look in my game and, and things that I would have been stronger at and things that I enjoy doing, you know, now and, and still. But um, yeah, looking at it, I didn't really enjoy playing for such a long time and it's only really in the last couple of years that, that I've started enjoying it. You just, you know, you get a little bit older and, and you start to think about the game for, for what it is. It's a game and, and, you know, we all got into it because, you know, we enjoy it. So why, yeah. why let that change now, you know? Yeah, I mean, even for some of the notes that I have, uh, you know, we've, we've discussed in, in the past, you bringing up now how the last few years have you know been the most enjoyable times for you because obviously you get to kind of reconfigure your mindset from I need to put food on the table from playing 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 going from team to team to team to now let's get back to the real basics of why I fell in love with this game and I know that's one one thing that I have uh, conversations with the younger goalkeepers is you know whether it's you're playing for a lesser team, but you're getting more minutes in that experience. Or sure, if you want to go chase the dream and obviously eat crap for a few months or a few years and see how that goes, great. But at the end of the day, it's important that your experiences that you look back on from your playing career are happy ones. And I think sometimes we can kind of get this illusion that it has to be the highest level and I can, you know, that that's it. Versus playing at a lower level, getting your experience, you know, getting those notches on your belt. And then once you get to a certain point, then you can excel into the next level. Do you feel like, Sometimes in your career, you know, that hunger and that strive for that first team and like in the Irish Premier League kind of took away that love. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think a lot of people that have that desire to to play professionally, they they automatically think I want to play in the MLS, I want to play in the Premier League or, or I want to play, you know, wherever it might be. And for me, success is, is, is all relative to the individual. Success for someone might be signing for an MLS team, but, you know, never playing, but they're wearing a... Uh, Houston Dynamo tracksuit or they're wearing an LA Galaxy tracksuit but for them that's successful because they've made it to the MLS but at the end of the day I think as a, as a footballer you want to play as much as possible and I think that's where you know that's where the real success comes from because you can't turn around when you're 40 years of age and say you know what I want to be a pro because those years are, are, are past yeah. you so I think it's trying to capitalize as much as possible while you still have that opportunity now whether that means you're clutching at straws to try and play at a higher level well then are you better off maybe playing in in in, in the next division down and, and playing games and enjoying it and and trying to then thrive at that level to get another opportunity to get back up uh, as opposed to you know just being happy you know sitting somewhere and, and, and not playing or whatever else and I definitely look at my career and, and you know it's definitely been definitely been a lot of ups and downs and stuff but yeah, do I look back and say, look, I, I wish I played a lot more for sure. But sometimes you, you know, you're assigned to a team where you believe you might have opportunity to be playing more than, more, more than what ends up presenting itself. And they're just things that you have to roll with. But they're also experiences that if you channel it in the right way are things that you can carry with you moving forward as opposed yeah. to, you know, throwing the toys out of the pram and saying, well, this is ridiculous. I'm not playing and I want to leave. Because if you have it, you know, on the other hand, if you have it easy all the way through, well, then what happens when you're 25, 26 and get dropped out of the team? Are you just someone then that wants to transfer and go elsewhere because, you know, you're not willing to, to put the gloves on and fight, you know? I guess the different, the different parts of your career and different stages of career are going to bring out uh, different emotions and different qualities in the goalkeeper. So I do think it's, it's, there's definitely a value fighting for a place, but there's a lot of value in, in playing games as well. And uh, I guess it's about trying to find the, find the right balance between the two. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I want to get into now, 
your playing experiences and kind of where you started. I know you had, you know, your Irish development and Irish roots, but kind of want to jump into uh, East Tennessee, East Tennessee State. And what was that experience like? Was that always on the horizon for you of I want to come to the States and play? You know, did things not work out at a young age to go uh, play professionally in Ireland? What what kind of transpired in that little process? Yeah, so I, I came across to the States on a, on a soccer scholarship in 2009. And I mean, there was quite a few Irish boys going across at that stage, but it was still still a relatively new experience that, you know, I didn't know what Division One and Division Two was or any of those things. You just knew that Division One was the best. So automatically you set your targets and look, that's where I want to go to. So I took part in a college course at home, which was specifically designed to getting guys, guys away on scholarships. Now, during that time, I was playing in the, in the League of Ireland for, the under 20, uh, for an under-20 side with Dundalk. And then once that season finished, I, then, I got promoted then into the first team. So I was the second choice keeper with the first team. But again, I looked at that and I'm like, look, I'm sitting on the bench. It's great experience at this age to be, you know, to be in and amongst that at a good level and everything else. But is this what I want moving forward to just kind of, you know, be happy on a Friday night, sitting on a bench going, well, yeah. this is great. Or, or do I want to maybe think about the bigger picture that what happens in a year's time if I blow my knee out and I don't play again? So maybe go away to America. Let's, let's experience what that's about. It seems to be, seems to be a great thing that people are doing and, and, and people are getting a lot from it, both from a playing standpoint as well as an educational standpoint. And, there's definitely more to life than football. Now, I, I absolutely love football and, and it is everything to me, but you've got to realise that there is, there is other things to life uh, apart from the football side. So I needed to have something to be able to fall back on should plan A not, not go according to plan. So uh, I went away to the States. I was actually at the University of San Diego first, which, which I didn't wow. really enjoy. So, so I transferred to, um, to East Tennessee State and a lot of people thought, why is this lunatic giving up palm trees and beaches for East Tennessee? <laughs> But again, it's because I was serious about football. That was my priority. Like if, I, if I could play somewhere where it was a beautiful place, great. But moving to Tennessee was the best thing I did, and I ended up loving it. And for me, that experience kind of showed me really what the college system was about, the facilities that they had, the infrastructure within, within the college game. And I thought, wow, I'm having, I'm having this. This is brilliant. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed my experiences there. I thought it was extremely professional how it was done. My only kind of thing that I didn't really like was how short the college season was and the lack of development through spring because you're not really getting uh, actively actively challenged through through games on a on a on a weekly or you know bi-weekly basis it's it's about five games five games in the semester so that was that was frustrating but uh no that was a great experience East Tennessee that was uh that kind of gave me a love for playing football in America if I'm honest and then even when I went back playing in Ireland I still kind of had that hunger that look if I don't make it to England I'd love to go back and play in the states play in the USL it's 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 a place that I'm happy to call you know, a second home and it's a place I call home now. So that was definitely a, definitely a great experience. East Tennessee, that kind of opened up my, opened up my eyes and, and opened up my world to, to what it could be like to play over here. Absolutely. So you kind of run with that, right? So, you know, we talked about earlier in the episode about sometimes if you're going to be okay with just sitting on the bench and wearing that tracksuit, great. But if you have the kind of ability to have that awareness of, I know what I'm, my worth is, and this is not maximizing my potential. And it seems like you kind of bit the bullet. You took opportunities where they uh, were presented and you obviously made a career out of it. And from East Tennessee state, you move back or you move back, but you have trials now with uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich town and Carlisle United. So transitioning from the college game and now, you know, trying to go into the professional game, what was that uh, tra- uh, transition like? And what were the trial periods like? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a different experience. I mean, I, I, um, I went back to Ireland, I graduated in, in December and then went back. So January, 2014, I was back in Ireland and uh, looking forward to kind of what opportunities were going to, were going to come. And that was really the start of what's been just a crazy, a crazy six <laughs> years of, 
of ups, downs, unknowns, stress and everything else. And that's, that's, I guess, you know, the life of football. But I went back and within a couple of weeks, I was over, I was over in Sheffield Wednesday on trial. I was there for a week uh, and that was fantastic. I mean, it was, it was a great level, great goalkeeping group. Chris Kirkland was the number one there at the time. And um, he was fantastic. You know, he was, he was great welcoming me into the sessions and all that kind of stuff. And I was actually due to play in, uh, due to play in a developmental game for them when Andy Rhodes, the goalkeeper coach, came in and said, you know, your international transfer certificate, your ITC is still registered in the States. So that meant I couldn't play. So nothing, nothing came of it. But I then went to Ipswich uh, about a month later. Uh, I, I, sh- I just didn't enjoy that experience. I just didn't enjoy it. It was, you could really just see the kind of cutthroat side of football. Like it was different than college where it's, everything is, for the most part, I know there's different college coaches that are, that are a little bit backwards in how they do things, but, uh, or more old school, should I say. But uh, Ipswich was definitely... Uh, it was definitely quite cutthroat, but I, I kind of felt I was on trial, but I felt very much like, you know, an extra in a movie set. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're not really part of what's going on. And I just didn't enjoy it. To be fair, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't great through the week anyway, but I think definitely the mental side of it, I kind of felt like an extra. I thought, I don't actually belong here. Uh, wow. I didn't really enjoy that. So, uh, but another few weeks later, then I went over to, over to Carlisle, which was great. And they were happy. But at the end of the day, I now hadn't played a game since, you know, in, in, six months or so so from when the college season had ended so that was their big issue was look you've done really well but you've you've now not played in six months so maybe maybe sign in Ireland and get some games so I did I had enough I had enough of sitting in the house training because I was training with a couple of League of Ireland teams at the time uh, just to keep fit obviously with the with the view to signing in the in, um, in the UK but when that didn't happen I thought look let's just let's just go ahead and sign into the league so I did I signed uh, I signed with a team that were actually bottom of the league they were 14 or 15 points adrift at the bottom of the table and a couple of players signed that I went in and I was fortunate enough to get in, into the team straight away. And the goalkeeper that was actually playing there at the time, Paul Skinner, has ended up actually being one of my best friends since that. Wow. He, was, he was fantastic. And you talk about football being cutthroat. Here was someone who had been at the club for a year and a half and I went in then and, and, and ended up playing the rest of the season and, and did quite well as well. So for another goalkeeper who wouldn't have been as mature, a, you're getting dropped out of the team, and B, the goalkeeper's doing well. It's very easy to then be a negative, a negative influence. But he was absolutely fantastic. So that was uh, that was a real good experience for me, and I really enjoyed that season. And that led me into having 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 a good load of options come the end of the year. And I thought I've had a really really good half season in Ireland. Maybe I'll stay here and play play a full season, and then maybe look for a move move to England. So I signed for yeah. a team called Sligo Rovers. Um, went there about eight or nine new signings and. There was a lot of talk about the team are going to go for, you know, challenge the league and everything else. So I went there and 10 games into the season, we were bottom, bottom of the table. So the easiest thing to do at that stage is, is it's, it's a new team, new goalkeeper. It's easy to just start pointing fingers. So I look back now yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't great in any of the games. But at the end of the day, if I was to watch the goals back now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually look at it and go, wow, I was terrible for that, 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 that and that. But it's just easy when you're when you're new and things aren't going well. It's easy to start pointing fingers, and particularly when you're a goalkeeper. Yeah. My my regret is that I wasn't big enough or strong enough to be able to stand my ground in in a lot of things that were going on. So I took on a lot of the mental baggage, and I just I was basically you know, for want of a better for want of a better expression, I became basically a punching bag for for everything that was going on. And you know, unfortunately, I just took all of that as a, as a heavier, heavier, heavier burden on my shoulders and, you know, got to stages that I'd go home then and, you know, quite upset when I was going home crying after training or, or whatever else, because I knew that in terms of professionalism, I was going above and beyond what I could do. Training was finished. I was, I was in the gym. We, me and one of my best friends currently who was, who was on the team, we were in the gym every day. 
you know, there was only there was only probably two or three of us in the gym, and yet I kind of fell for fell into the trap of of looking on social media at things that were being written and everything else. So mm. I mean, my my mental state just went went into an awful place, and and yeah, I mean that that just, that just took its toll on me. Then I really really struggled, and you know, things went from being so exciting to to the move to then. You know, I actually think I want to quit football because this is this is the furthest thing from what I want, and it's now taking its toll on my mental health. So, again, that that same goalkeeper that I had played with at Athlone, he he steered me in the right direction to go and talk to someone. So, through our players union at home, I did. I went and went and uh, started talking to a therapist, and that just put my that put me in a better place from from being hell bent on walking away from the game. Uh, all sorts of stuff going on between them trying to take money away and and everything else. Uh, the therapist basically got got me in a better place that. I was able to just kind of get through the remainder of that season before before moving on. And again, I tried to get back to the States and that didn't happen. So there was kind of two more years of, of bouncing around. And for me, that's where my career kind of just went stale, that it was, you know, I had wanted to do so much more. And yet I found myself trying to get away to the States and then coming back to Ireland, having to sign for a team, you know, two weeks into the season. So you're, you know, you're just taking whatever you can get really at that stage. Yeah, and, uh, yeah it, was, it was frustrating, but I mean, you just you got to take these experience for what they are and, and try and try and take positives out of it, you know. Yeah. Well, like you said, I think I want to backtrack a little bit about you know you feeling that uh, at Ipswich you were kind of an extra on a movie set, and it seems sometimes you know when we have new goalkeepers, and I'm sure you have at RGV, you have new goalkeepers coming in uh, daily. So, did you feel like that experience of feeling kind of left out? and maybe not allowing you to play to your best ability, you stepping in now as the head goalkeeper coach of the RGV, and then last year, you know, Ford Madison, getting those players that maybe come in, did you have a different approach because of the way you were handled back in the day? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, again, the friend I was talking to earlier on, we all talk about now during this quarantine period, everyone creating presentations and, and uh, webinars and Zoom calls and everything else, and we're all talking about, you know, the DNA of goalkeepers and physical, tactical, mental, psychological, social and we're all talking about how we're designing sessions and, and, you know, how can we make the session look more like the game and all these things. And in, in my experience as a player, I look at it and say, everything that we can do in training, wonderful. But if the goalkeeper's head isn't in the right place, we could have been playing table tennis in training and it wouldn't have made a difference because they're not going to be able to perform to the level they should unless their head is in the right space. So what can we do to facilitate their needs? And I'm not saying we need to be psychologists as goalkeeper coaches, but we can show an interest and make people feel make people feel comfortable in our environment before then challenging them. Because if you if you start challenging people that are in the wrong mental space, you're not going to get much out of it. And fundamentally, as goalkeeper coaches, our our aim is to have our goalkeepers progress and to reach their potential. And the yeah. only way we can do that, I feel, is is by going deeper than just scratching the surface of how are you, everything all right? Yeah, okay, great. Really, really, you've got to show an interest and, and, a, and a care to the individuals that you're, that you're coaching to try and get the best out of them because that psychological piece is huge. So, you know, now if, if you know, last year we had goalkeepers in on, on, on trial, same thing, you go, and, you go and have a word with them, you know, where were you playing before, how are you getting on, you know, where are you from, where are you living, all those kind of things, asking about their different experiences. So that way, you know there's going to be nerves when someone steps into a new environment, but maybe you can just take a little bit of that nervousness away. Now it, might, now it might only take them five minutes to settle into the session as against them getting in, having nervous energy and, and being an absolute write-off the first session. Because now yeah. they go into day two, you know, you can be sure they're going home going, God, I was, I was horrendous today. I need to be better tomorrow. And they're putting now unnecessary pressure on themselves because I'm not going to go in and start grading someone in the first, 
in the first two seconds of a session because I understand how it is that it takes time to settle in. You know, things aren't going to happen instantly. I don't expect someone to come onto a pitch and be a 10 out of 10. Now, it's great if that does happen, but you've got to allow for other things that are going on. Even whether it's something as simple as someone as a kid, maybe they didn't sleep well the night before, or maybe they've had a fight with their missus or whatever it might be. There's so many things that play a factor into how a goalkeeper is going to go and perform in training and in a game. So you've got to show a deeper level of care into, into how things actually go away from training to ensure that training goes well. I think, you know, Ryan, you kind of sparked an idea in my mind of how many goalkeepers we have probably missed out on, how many professional goalkeepers. You know, we see some goalkeepers, for example, I mean, like Casper Schmeichel, how many teams he had to kind of go through until he finally... And I think before Leicester City, it was Leeds United where he got his, you know, big break. So he had, he had moments where he was, like, building his experiences, building his career, but they ha he had to have that trust from the coach and the goalkeeper coach to get him over that hump to show who he actually was as a goalkeeper. So I think you're right about how many goalkeepers have we missed out on because we didn't take those five, six minutes before a session and try to give those goalkeepers that mental, uh, not stability, but just kind of like that foundation of, hey, I'm here for you. We're here to watch your talent. But at the same time, I need you to be in the headspace and trust me that I'm going to get trying to get the best out of you versus trying to put you, you know, with the one and two, you know, start a controversy or a battle between you two. So I think it's, I think it's important. I think, you know, your uh, Sligo Rovers situation, I remember you told me your goalkeeper coach there, there were some differences of opinion or I'm not hundred percent sure what went down, but from that experience, can you maybe dive into a little bit of maybe how he managed you and maybe how you uh, learned from that and how you kind of go away from that now? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing was he did nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, and that's, and that's the biggest thing. And, and for me, uh, as, as a player at the time who grew up, all I ever wanted to do was, was, was be a pro made sacrifices. That's all I ever wanted to do. And to then, to then get to a stage where I found myself halfway through a season thinking, I actually want to quit the game. I want to walk away from this entirely. I thought, well, there's Jeez. something, there's something amiss here because it's, it's, it, it had, it had been in my life, you know, all, all the way through. And, I just thought there's definitely something wrong here. And what frustrated me most was at a time where I needed, not to vent, but I needed some sort of outlet, some, somewhere where I could go, an outlet, exactly. I needed an outlet somewhere to be able to just say, listen, I am struggling big time. It's, there's something wrong. It was, as far as he was concerned, it was just, oh, we, you know, we show up to train and there's a few cones out, we're going to train. Oh, this needs to be better, that needs to be better, whatever it might be. Everything was on the surface. And quite clearly, I think, I think you'd need to be actively trying to go the other way because it was so obvious to see that mentally I wasn't, I wasn't in a good spot. And yet he just avoided it and avoided it and avoided it and avoided it. And for me, that was, it was a huge letdown because regardless of the quality of sessions or any of the above, I think he, he really, really missed out on just, if it was something as simple as just starting the conversation to say, listen, you, you look like you're struggling, but is everything okay? That could have just been enough to start a conversation. Maybe, maybe earlier on before it got to where it did, maybe that would have been enough. Just, just opening yeah. the conversation. And I know uh, Jason's actually made a very, very interesting point when he was talking to you about uh, trying to affect the goalkeepers, you know, from, from, a, from a psychological, from a social standpoint, that maybe you just ask them a little question because it just shows that you, you care about everything that's going on, not just what's happening in the session. And, Something as simple as, look, you look like you're struggling a little bit. Is everything okay? That would have been enough. That would have yeah. been enough to start it before it, went, before it went to the point that I had to be you know, dragged out of it. And I look back at that now and I'm like, I never, ever, ever want to be a coach for a goalkeeper who's in that situation. So for me, it's about, it's about caring for the individuals that we have because at the end of the day, 
the better they do, the better it is for me. And that's not coming from, you know, a cutthroat standpoint. That's me going, I, I care. Each, each goalkeeper that I'll have and that I'll coach, I'll show a genuine care in how they are as people because that, that's, that's going to get you a level of respect to start off with yeah. before you even get into kicking and catching balls. Because if you can get people that, that know you care, you can be sure they're going to buy into what you're doing. Whereas if you just come and you throw cones out on a pitch and you're telling them, telling them what to do, why should they really buy into what you're doing if you don't show a level of care in their career as a player, but also in their lives as people? Absolutely. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's good, uh, good points that you're making there for coaches. But, you know, obviously from a player's perspective, do you have any tips for players that maybe are going through that mental struggle right now and don't really know if they have an outlet or who to talk to? And maybe even, you know, from your own experiences, what got you to the point of saying, you know what, I need help? I, th I think actually what, what ended up getting me there was I had got into such a bad place and my, uh, my now wife was living with me at the time and she had just flown back to the States for, uh, I think, for a couple of months. And I noticed that I was always someone that's upbeat, happy. I'm not really a controversial or, or, or um, you know, hard person to deal with. I'd be easygoing, not, not confrontational. And, you know, I'd be in the dressing room or, or locker room, as you guys say, and, and, you know, laughing, whatever else. But as soon as I set foot in my apartment at home, floods of tears, I'm just crying, sitting on the couch, just thinking, this is an absolute disaster. And that was tough going through that alone and, and without anyone really knowing what was going on. So it was, uh, it was, it was actually, like I said, it was Paul Skinner, the goalkeeper that I, that I played with at the loan. I had spoken to him just about, you know, he'd called me because, you know, he knew things were going badly. And I kind of, I guess I opened up to him as to how I was feeling and, and he had actually gone through something quite similar. So he, uh, he steered me in the right direction, but, for me, the biggest part of it was being open enough to actually talk to someone that you trust and not, not just talking to anyone, but talking to someone that you really trust and, and someone who you, who you know is really going to listen to what you're saying, who has, who has your best interests at heart. Because the biggest thing for me was being able to open up. I must have spoken to him for about two hours, just basically wow. you know, uh, quite emotional on, on, on the phone dealing with it. But it's important because at the end of the day, you only get one career and you don't want to you don't want to dwell on negative things and be, and be caught in such a poor mental state for such a long time. You want to be able to deal with it or, or potentially nip it in the bud before it becomes something big. So I think kind of spotting that there is something wrong and then, and then going and talking about it is, is the most important thing before it gets, you know, before it gets too, 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 uh, too, uh, too tough to deal with. Absolutely. So you come back to the States after uh, this kind of mess and, and things kind of uh, fall through with, uh, with this team, you come back to the U S and, you know, they Puerto Rico was interested for a little bit, but, as we all see from Americans trying to go and get their visa in, uh, in Europe and then vice versa for Europeans trying to come uh, to the States. And it's difficult to uh, get that international spot. So did you find it very difficult at that time? I mean, obviously frustration from your last club, but now you're trying to go into the outlet of almost like your second home back in the States and trying to get minutes there. But that foreign spot is unless you're, you know, Vito Manone or like, you know, big time guy from like Arsenal coming down to play in MLS for you, it's, it's it must be difficult. So how was that process like? And, and then obviously you moved back to Ireland after that, but take me through those few months of trying to gather yourself from uh, obviously speaking to a sports psych uh, person. And then from there, you're, you're moving back to the U.S. Yeah. So once, once I had, uh, I guess, you know, fought through this LIGO situation, my mind was just set up on, I, I want to get out of here. This isn't, this isn't what I'm about. I just want to get over to the States and, and enjoy playing over there again. So like I said, I went over on trial to Puerto Rico and then the, you know, the international issue comes up. So then I was back in Ireland again for another season. And then I went over to Harrisburg, same thing, international issue, you know, comes up. So I went back playing in the league again. And I made a decision at that point because I felt like I was kind of just going around in circles, like on a merry-go-round. And I thought there's more to football than just this, than just going around in circles. And I thought, look, you know what? 
I'll just make a life decision and I'm just going to go with this. I'm going to go to the States. I'm going to start the green card process and whatever happens, happens. I still absolutely want to be a pro. I want to continue playing, but this is a decision I've got to make. Maybe it's going to harm me. Maybe it'll be better, but I've got to make this decision to just be in a better place. So I moved across at the end of the 2017 season and, and began that process. And uh, I guess, unfortunately, at, at that time, Donald Trump's administration had just taken mm. over. So Im- Im- immigration had, I mean, the wheels of that industry had just gone to a complete halt. So what was predicted to take five months ended up taking 14 months. So during that period of time, you know, I just wanted to stay as productive as possible. So I was like, look, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't play. I can't work. So what can I do to, to better myself for when the opportunity does arise rather than having to get ready? Can I, can I stay ready and, and be productive during this time? So um, I, I went just doing different licenses and I'd already began my UEFA stuff back in, back in Ireland, but I thought, you know, what, what licenses can I do over here? What, you know, what, what things can I go and see to, to, you know, to grow as a coach, as a player? So I went down to the International Goalkeeping Coaching uh, Conference in, in Florida with Phil Wedden. Uh, and that was an experience which was, which was phenomenal. That was a real light bulb moment in terms of the level of uh, intricate detail that coaches go into in terms of planning and logging sessions and, and all that sort of stuff. So at the end of that summer, I, I decided to play in the NPSL just to, again, play games, semi-professional league, just play games. It'll keep me, keep me interested, keep me, uh, keep me fit and keep me match sharp or whatever for whatever opportunities arise. Then went coaching with my old college head coach at uh, University of Central Florida, which was great. I mean, phenomenal setup. A uh, great team, great staff, uh, and really, really good people. Which, which was, uh, which, which I learned more than ever was was so important and instrumental to the success of a team. Um, and that for them is is one of their priorities is recruiting good people first and foremost. And uh, lucky enough, we had a we had a German goalkeeper there. We had a very strong goalkeeping group, but the German goalkeeper Yannick, he was the number one. And I mean, he had a phenomenal season. He, he bought into everything that I wanted to do in training. And uh, again, I, I showed a real care for him and. He ended up having a, having a great season. He was all region and goalkeeper of the year and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that was great for me. That was like my first kind of full-time coaching experience. And uh, it was great. I loved it, you know, in terms of planning sessions and trying different things and video analysis and constructing sessions around the opponents you were going to face amidst the absolute chaos of a college season, trying, <laughs> yeah. trying, to, trying to implement these things, you know, with, with two-day turnarounds and things. So that was really good. I, I enjoyed that. And uh, I mean, the weekend of the of the conference championship, I ended up getting called to to Nashville for my green card interview, and got it got it on the spot. So that ended up being a really, really from from what I could have looked at as a disaster of a twelve months. I was just productive through it and said, look, there's no point in you know sitting here sitting here complaining because I can't do anything. Why don't I just be as productive as I can? So uh, as I said, coached as much as I could coach, listened to as many people as I could listen to, and learned from as many experiences as I could. I helped out with a local high school because I thought, look, it's another experience awful level but it's another experience how, <laughs> how, how do you how do you deal with 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 those things you talk about a lack of equipment or lack of planning or or all these sorts of things well how do you deal with that because it's only going to help you if if, yeah. if you can deal with all these terrible situations well i mean the more things you can deal with it's, it's only going to benefit you in the long run so they were they, they've all stood to me now and and uh, as i said from from them once i got the green card I, I made the move up to madison and that was that was i guess the start of my professional coaching and playing playing journey in the states which was uh which was fantastic. Yeah, and I think a, a big point there, I think it's about perspective. I think a lot of times we get kids who, even myself, I'm not, I won't th- throw anybody on the bus but myself, but sometimes it's about perspective of how you view things. You can see it as a negative. You could think, you could think of it as these next few months are going to suck. I'm going to have to just stick it out. I, I have to figure something out. Or you can say, okay, these next few months are going to suck, whatever. I'm not, 
I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait it out. You know what I mean? So it's, it's productive perspective, but also perspective of like, you can also put yourself into a really bad place if your perspective is negative. So it seems to me that you were very mature and aware of what your end goal was and mature of, you know, kind of where your career was headed if you continued playing. So you had to make that tough decision uh, to, to move on. But the perspective now I kind of want to shift to is you go to Madison and now you're a player coach, which to me is always, always fascinating because I don't know, you know, what the priorities are for your sessions. And obviously, do you criticize yourself in sessions? Like, how does that work? So how, how did that happen? I just pick myself I, every week. <laughs> <laughs> coach, I think, uh, I think, I think Ryan, Ryan's doing a great job this week. <laughs> uh, but no, for you. So how, how was that? How was that process like when that opportunity came up? Yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I got a call in in, uh, in January. So it was about, it was it was a month after I had uh, a month after I'd been in with Paul and Jason in in Houston. Um, I had just been back in Ireland finishing up my my outfield B license, um, the outfield UEFA license, and and uh, I got a phone call when I was at home, and it was my agent, and just said, listen, we've we've had a we've had a phone call from Forward Madison, and they're interested, given your level of. Uh, coaching qualification and, and the experience that you've had as well as as a player they're interested in getting you in so I was like right well let's delve more into this and, and you know see where this goes well, let's, let's tease it out it was something I hadn't even thought of if I'm honest but the more I looked at it the more it started to make sense in that yes I want to continue being a player but at the end of the day I'm getting all these quote coaching qualifications with a view to being a coach afterwards and yeah okay I'm not going to be signing for Liverpool as a goalkeeper my, my priority is how high can I get as a goalkeeper coach so this offered itself an opportunity to continue being a pro as well as now starting my professional, uh, professional coaching career under uh, Daryl Shore, who was the head coach and, and still is the head coach, who, who, of course, has been in the MLS for a long time as a goalkeeper coach. So I thought, like, I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer to, to, to not take up that opportunity. You can learn from Daryl with his experiences and, and you know, you're, you're, you're on the ladder now. And, and I thought, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do it. And to be honest, it was the best decision I ever made. Uh, great place to play. Great people, club was well run, uh, and it was just a fantastic year. It was, it was the happiest year of my life, as as drastic as that might sound, from a playing and a personal standpoint. It ticked a lot of boxes, and you know, even even though I mean I played about eight or nine eight or nine games or something, I really enjoyed every second of them. And then from a coaching standpoint, I loved it. I mean, Brian Brian Silvestri played uh, played the majority of the games, and again, even he was fantastic when I was playing. But again, it goes back to as a young coach, can you gain the respect of the goalkeepers that are there, that they understand I'm your coach? Yes, I'm going to be in the sessions, but I'm your coach. And at the end of the day, I'm not saying things that are going to jeopardize your opportunity to play. I'm not in it for those reasons. I have to be mature enough and professional enough to say, listen, yes, I'm a player, but if I'm not playing, I can't mope around the place and sulk and put on bad sessions because that does everyone a disservice. That's now me not being a professional goalkeeping coach. And now that's kind of me just being a more of a, a, an emotionally reactive goalkeeper, which is, which is unfair. And, and if I thought for any second last year that, that I was up to that kind of carry on, I would have been the first to step away and say, listen, we need to get a goalkeeper coach. But Brian, uh, Brian and, and Brandon, the two goalkeepers we had, were very respectful. Uh, and we had, a, we had a really good relationship. For me, where it was different was, obviously, there was no goalkeeper coach in the session when I was going through it. So it just meant that everything was recorded. And at the end of the day, I would go home then and watch the session back and go, right, we need to tweet this, this, and this. But then I could also break the clips down and send them to Brian and Brandon and say, look, this is what I've seen back on the video. So it was kind of killing two birds with one stone, really. Bigger workload, but I mean, I, I'm just kind of goalkeeping obsessed, so I didn't really mind it. My missus wasn't, wasn't so much of a fan <laughs> of hearing, hearing balls being kicked all the time. But uh, now, for, for me, I loved it and, and, and still do, you know. Yeah, and again... 
those uh, experiences, like we talked about earlier, they all kind of compile and they get to a certain point where obviously your personality is, is kind of coming to form now as a coach. Um, so how would you describe your personality as a coach? I know you said you're very easygoing, but how's your coaching personality like in, um, in terms of like your style and your approach with technical, tactical and all that? Yeah. So I, I, again, like I'm, I'm just kind of goalkeeping obsessed. So in terms of like planning sessions, they'd be meticulously planned and, and laid out. And the way, the way what I would do things is uh, if we start training at 10, I have the guys into the office at nine and we kind of talk through what the session is. That then negates a need for a big breakdown in, in, in transitioning between, you know, one exercise to the next or, or one progression to the next, you know, obviously you're going to have, you're going to have a little bit of time in between for, you know, to catch a breather or get a bit of water, but I don't want to waste time on, you know, what my target objective is for the next, you know, for the progression or whatever else. So they'll already know that before we get outside. Now, like anything, there might be, there might be stages during the session that not everything is always going to go hundred percent according to plan because that's not, that's not football. Uh, something might present itself in the session that you now need to adapt. And I think that's where, that's where coaching comes in. And that's, that's where I'm, I'm kind of steering towards that now of, of being able to kind of spot things more so in the flow and, and maybe we address this little part here. And, and there's been a lot of in, interesting conversations we've had. Uh, I know Paul and Jason have, have set up Zoom calls with, with several of the, other, of the other MLS coaches and just me being able to sit there and, and listen to, to the opinions and, and, and thoughts that some of these guys have is, is fantastic. And the one thing that strikes me, Ed, is that the outcomes, I mean, the target outcomes, everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants a goalkeeper to develop, but they go about it in different ways, whether it's topic-based or multidisciplinary. And that's, that's something that I'm trying to look at and figure out now. Me, I would be very topic-based, 100%. I'd be, I'd be very topic-motivated in terms of how, how I construct a session and in terms of I see a scenario that I want to work on and I'm going to do what I can to see as many scenarios out of that, whether it's a, a, a cutback. Well, let's see the different scenarios that a cutback will present itself because if I just do kind of random play, maybe it's the cutback that we need to work on, but we're not seeing enough of that in the session, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's just trying to strike a balance without making a session boring or, or becoming all about that. Because I think when we look at things in isolation, again, we refer to a cutback. If we look at something in isolation and, and I'm just hammering away at it, we may not see how that's actually going to transition into the, we may not see what the technical fault is until they have plenty of other things going on in their mind is it going to be a shot is it a pullback is it a cross is the person going to you know continue dribbling inside if so if, if it's a if it's a, a dive close to your right hand side that i think you're struggling with and we just do that in isolation 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 at the end of the session i'm going you're great you're making everything there looks wonderful but now we get into a small sided game the ball's pulled back and someone puts one down to the right now we're actually seeing where the technical breakdown happens maybe it's because you're not seeing the ball early enough or or whatever it's nothing to do with actually executing the technique it might be just getting yourself situated to execute the technique that the issue is. So maybe you're not assessing the situation correctly or, you know, your, your motor intelligence isn't quite where it needs to be to find that motor solution to go and make the save. So they're, they're all things that I've been looking at heavy during this, during this quarantine session that, you know, if we look at someone who, who looks like they're technically struggling with something, maybe there's more to it than just, oh, he's bad at diving to that side. Maybe it's because he's not assessing the situation early enough or he's not finding that solution in his head quick enough that mm. it's, it's a one step and go to make the save. So they're all things that I'm trying to look at now and um, just kind of getting deeper and deeper into the internet, <laughs> finding, finding things out, you know? <laughs> That's a great answer. Yeah. And I think 
something that I've definitely taken notice of is two things. One is Anthony White from AFC Bournemouth and something he was talking about and, and talking about how there's a difference between technique and an actual technique being a skill. And obviously technique can be worked on in isolation like you were talking about with your goalkeepers, striking those balls to their lower right over and over. And yes, they're probably going to walk off the field with confidence, but it's not really going to do anything to them come the game because there's going to be so many different de- uh, decisions prior to that technique being used. And on top of that, we had Dan Abrahams on the podcast not so long ago, and he was talking about how us as coaches, we sometimes are so fixed on a technical solution that we sometimes lose sight on that social aspect and that psyche perspective of what the goalkeeper may have been going through prior to the game or even during the game that made them decide to use that technique. So I think coupling those two of turning that technique into a skill, but also, like you said earlier, talking to those goalkeepers and seeing where their mental state is at to see if they're in the best position possible to use the right techniques from their psychological approach. So I think all that's great and uh, leads me to my next point of just that mentality. Um, Ryan, for you, you've been through you know relegation, you've been through the injuries, you've been through the setbacks of being dropped and all that stuff. So any tips for younger goalkeepers out there that may be going through similar stuff like that? Well, I think, I think the biggest thing is, is, is knowing what you want to achieve and really sitting down and asking yourself like what are you willing to do to achieve that because it's easy for to, it's easy for someone to sit there and go do you know what i'd love to be a pro and then they they sit down have a little stretch and, and they're at home playing video games is that in line with what your goals and aspirations are you've got to ask yourself these questions you've got to you've got to give yourself a reality check every every now and then and i think like my dad's always said to me I, i've come into so many of these different periods of like for want of a better phrase like dead periods where it is out of my hands. I can't, I can't get my green card any quicker than immigration are going to give it to me. But am I just going to sit there and let life happen to me? Or am I going to go after my life and be as productive as I can during those times? Because even, even taking that year, year and a half out of the professional game, I could have waited until the end and then gone, oh, you know, I could have done this or I should have done that. And for me, they're two of the saddest expressions in, 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 uh, you know, in, in, in vocabulary because it's quite simple to just say, well, well, why didn't you, you know? So now regardless of what, what, what walk of life we're in, whether that's someone that wants to set up a podcast and they're waiting now until, you know, everything opens up again. And then they go, do you know what? I should have started a podcast. I wish I had done that. Well, why didn't you? The only person that can, that can direct you in your life is, is, is you, you need to be, you need to be motivated enough from within to go and achieve what you want to do. And trust me, there's been plenty of times through my career playing, coaching, whatever else that there's been a lot of questions asked from me from people outside, but, they're exactly that. They're people outside. And if I let them start being a burden on what I want to achieve, well, then I'm never going to get to where I want to. So if you look at trying to aspire to reach the top level, the more baggage that you have on you, you're never going to get there. You know, opinions, you know, everyone has an opinion. And, and that's one thing that I've learned. Everyone has an opinion. But at the end of the day, I don't need to let those opinions affect me, how I feel from a mental state and how I feel emotionally. And um, I, I, even, you know, going back to dealing with, dealing with tough things, you know, something like nerves when you're going into a game, like, to be able to deal with these things, you, you don't let outside factors play a part. You, you deal with that from within. You know, you take positive reinforcements as against looking at the negatives. A lot of people will look at nerves and say, uh, you know, you ask someone, oh, Omar, how are you feeling for the game today? I'm nervous. And I'm thinking, he's going to have a stinker. He's nervous. But it's not, always, it's not always a negative thing. I look at nerves and say, do you know what? They're a positive because it means you care. But it can be a negative if, if you let it chip away with negative thoughts. But there's no reason to go into a game, you know, if you've done all your preparation in the right way and, you know, you've, you've been a good pro or you've been a good student or whatever else it might be, that you go into the game. And it's basically the reward for what you've done through the body of the body work through the week. So you basically positively, positively reinforce it. What I do when I'm playing games is 
is exactly that. I'll positively reinforce things. If it's wet, it's windy. In years gone past, I would have gone, oh my God, it's going to catch the wind. What if this cross goes over my head? Or what if it hits the, the wet grass and slips through my hands? But no, you look at it now and go, well, what if that doesn't happen? Because I played a game two weeks ago in, in, in the rain and I was brilliant. So what I do, I watch, I watch maybe a couple of great saves that I've made or good distributions that I've had. So you go into the game, you know, feeling, yeah, I'm ready to go. And that's not an overnight change. That's something that will, you know, will, 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 slowly, will slowly happen. But I'm now at the other side of it. As I said, I've only started enjoying football from, you know, 28, 29 years of age. And it's something that I wish I had been able to do from an earlier age. So that would be, that would be my advice to, to younger yeah. ones, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I know we've, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about your, your playing career now. I kind of want to get to the coaching side of things and uh, maybe just some tips for, for the coaches. But this is a two-part question for you, Ryan, and it's, it has to do with obviously being at RGV. And uh, it's difficult, right? I'm sure you have a lot of the kids coming up and a lot of the pros coming down. And it's just you're kind of that middle point for a lot of these players. So do you help them when they come in? Obviously, you have the, the physical side of things and on the field, but the psychological side that we talked about earlier, obviously from your experiences, now you go, you know what? I, I probably know a little bit more than this guy thinks I know about him, and I know he probably is struggling because he got dropped from the first team. He didn't travel. He may be a little bit older in his career uh, like you were at, at one point. So did you feel like as a coach, it's important to really go out of your way, even for those 10, 15 minutes of conversation, to, to try and help those goalkeepers kind of make it over that hump that they probably, they probably need to get over? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point you've made. It, it probably depends on the individual. If you take the first part of it and say that it's a goalkeeper from the first team that's come down, again, you're going to look at the profile of that goalkeeper. So if it's, if it's someone that's a 32-year-old veteran has been sent down to, to RGV to play a game, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not necessarily going to go over and want to spend 15, 20 minutes talking to him because my automatic assumption would be that's probably the last thing he wants. He's coming down here to do a job. He just wants to play and, and get back up. That would be that would be the assumption that you'd make straight away but again it depends on the individual if it's a younger kid coming down they're probably going to think am i surplus to requirements is this the end of my career with the dynamo or whatever else it might be or or for whatever mls team that they're at going down to their affiliate so i think where i think where it comes in for me and and, and for i guess the affiliate goalkeeper coaches uh, through throughout the usl it comes down to keeping them happy not babying them but keeping them happy and keeping them comfortable in your environment because what you don't want is people coming down and ruining maybe what you've got going on in, in, in your pile of goalkeepers. Because like I've said, my job is to make sure that the goalkeepers at RGV are, are thriving and are feeling hungry for success. So if someone comes down and all of my focus is on them all of a sudden, now you get my goalkeepers thinking, well, hold the phone. What's this about? We've been here the whole time mm -hmm. and now you're casting us to the side. So I think it's more, more a stage of welcoming whatever goalkeeper it is into our environment, let them know, listen, whether you're here for one day, two days, or two months, you're welcome here. You're welcome in our environment, and, and, and this is what we're about. We're, we're about getting into it, working hard, and, and, and pushing each other. We want it to be competitive, whether, whether you're playing, whether you're not playing. We want it to be competitive because that's, you know, iron, sharp, uh, iron sharp, uh, sharpens iron, and that's, that's fundamentally what's going what's gonna to maybe get the best out of the MLS goalkeeper to go and play as against if he comes down and my goalkeepers down here then lose their motivation – now he's going to be playing in a game where he just thinks, well, training the last two days has been awful because the two guys have just binned it off. So my balance is going to be, how can I keep everything thriving? How can I keep everyone hungry and feeling that 
they're they're part of something bigger than maybe just this one game this weekend. Absolutely, yeah. It's keeping that, that unit happy, like you said. Uh, iron sharpens iron. I think that's the best way to, to go about it. And again, it's the perspective of the backup goalkeeper, the third goalkeeper of like, if I push the second guy, the first guy's going to get better. So it's just continuously from the coach as well to cre- help create that environment the best way you can, whether it's a fun game prior to the session or a film session where you guys are all, you know, you know having that banter and just kind of joking around a little bit because it eases the stress. And as we talked about in the past, that really does... Uh, help those goalkeepers out whether you know it or not and a question that I get asked a lot around we have a few more minutes now but a question that I get asked a lot is from let's say the 16 to 18 year old uh, age group here in the states it's kind of like that make or break period in terms of you know you want to get to college and sometimes you can you can take the community college route one or two years and then step into a four-year university but what are goalkeepers not doing around that age that you feel you've noticed at the professional level of like okay I don't know why you didn't focus on this more when you were younger so social aspect the psychological aspect the tactical side so is there anything you've noticed from those goalkeepers you feel they should be working on more yeah I think it's a great question I mean I think when when we think about youth development and and I mean, obviously, Jason would be would be far more far, far more detailed to give an answer like this. But in my my opinion on it would be when we talk about the development of of younger goalkeepers, we always talk about you know what what they can do, and we automatically think of what they're going to do you know on the pitch. And for me, when I look at what would I do, I just look at the tactical understanding of a goalkeeper. Do they understand what's actually being required of them in a game? How that might affect their position? How that might affect their distribution? How that might affect how I'm going to deal with certain situations, game management, am I speeding the game up? Am I slowing it down? I think if you're not, if you're not detailed enough in, in, in your game management and, and your tactical understanding of the game, I think that already sets you at a, at a lower level. And then you're kind of pretty much relying on just on your goalkeeper instinct. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it. A huge piece because a goalkeeper that's tactically, tactically aware of what's going on, that might put them in better situations to make saves and to understand and be able to read the game of what's going on, like I said, as opposed to just being pure um, reactive on, on the situations that throw themselves up. So it's kind of reading situations, you know, before they become situations that are, you know, harder to deal with. Can we, can we negate that earlier on? Whether, and again, I think that the, the better you are and more, more proficient you are tactically, the better the quality of your information is to your defenders to stop problems occurring before they now get into your area where you're now going to be required to make specific goalkeeping actions. I agree. I think that goes back to the point of uh, you making earlier of, okay, maybe they, they know how to do the technique of getting down to their, their low right to make a save, but it's those moments prior. Did they not scan properly? Did they not understand uh, where the dangers were coming from? Did they not understand, you know, the timing of that ball coming across, how much time they had to get to their point and set? Did they, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's all these little things that you have to, yeah, tactic-wise. So from your playing career now to your coaching career, is there something that like you, you've completely switched your mindset on because of obviously now you're a coach and, and maybe you didn't see it as being important when you were playing or now that, you're, obviously now that you're coaching, you see it more often as like, okay, this is probably something that I should really hone in on, whether it's you know film sessions, whether it's the going to the gym, whether it's sleeping properly. You know, there's a lot of little things that a lot of kids don't really know too much about. So is this something from your playing career that you didn't do that now as a coach you realize is probably a focal point as to how like Ronaldo and those guys are so successful? Yeah, there's pr- probably probably two things that would that would spring to mind for me. The first would be dealing with uh, dealing with the likes of pressure situations and, and and nerves and all that type of stuff. Like I said, I only really started enjoying the game, you know, at, at 28 years of age, and I mean that's that's basically 10 years into an 18 year old's career, you know, and that's 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 a lot of wasted time. So you you want to be able to enjoy the game. That's that's why you play. So um, being able to deal with nerves would be would would be something that I wish I was able to do from an earlier age. And I guess when I took my first UEFA course my mind 
just completely changed. It went from watching everything as a goalkeeper to now watching everything as a coach. So even though I took those courses while, while, while I was playing and while I'm still playing, I now, when I'm in the goal, I'm watching the game from, from a coaching standpoint. And I think that helps in terms of fi- me finding better situations, um, giving better information, because now you're looking at, as against just playing the game and reacting to the situations that occur, now you're looking at, well, is there someone picking up their six? If their six has too much time on the ball, how is that affecting our back four? Now we're dropping too much, which is creating bigger problems for their 10 that might drop in. Well, all these different types of things. You're now watching the game going, I'm actually solving problems here as against just mm. shout and squeeze the defenders or away or keepers. You know, there's far more to it. And I think if you look at someone like Van der Sar, the later, the later in his career, that even though he wasn't required to produce so many goalkeeping actions because he was in such a good team, it was because of how well he organized his back four. But because he was so knowledgeable of the game to be able to understand where he's going to send people. And fundamentally, the less I can do in a game, the better. So the more clear information and, and the clarity of my information that I can give to my players is only going to benefit me and benefit the team. So my two big takeaways would be uh, dealing with nerves a, a lot better that, you know, it's a game. We all play the game because we enjoy it. So let's not, let's not forget that. And realistically, what's going to happen is there's a whistle to start the game. There's a whistle to end the game. And that's it. Now, uh, you know, you're still alive at the end of it. It's fine. It will go on. Um, so dealing with nerves is one. And then, and then the other one, as I said, from a tactical standpoint, uh, was, was huge. As I said, taking my first coaching license just completely shifted everything. And even for someone who doesn't plan on being a coach, I think if you're actively playing, go and take a course because your, your, your world will just be opened up. You'll be able to solve a lot more problems. I agree. Yeah. As, as much information as you can get in there, the better, because it might, like said, it might spark certain things. Of, if I'm watching a field player course, they're saying certain things about what a center back or what a center midfield will look for in terms of balls over the top. And now it's like, okay, how can I reverse engineer that and affect that as a coach now as, for goalkeepers? Um, okay. So we have about, we have about 30 seconds left real quick. So Ryan, for you finish off with 30 seconds. Uh, how do you want to be remembered as a coach? Uh, someone, someone who cares, someone who cares about the goalkeepers and, 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 you know, will go above and beyond to, help them reach their potential. It's far more than just showing up with cones, throwing them out in the pitch. You've, you've got to, for me, regardless of your qualification level, two things that you have to take, uh, take to a session are passion and commitment. Because without that, you're not creating a, a, a great environment for people to be able to, uh, to train and be competitive. Amen. This probably shut off in three seconds, but appreciate you. And we'll talk soon, okay? Awesome. Thanks, Omar. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Of course. Pleasure. Take care.